Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. So my wife Amanda and I have three little girls, Hannah, who's five, Chloe, who is two and a half, and Abigail, who's 10 months. I want you to picture something with me. Imagine five years from now, we go to Disney. Girls would love it. And amidst the the taste of cotton candy, the sounds of it's a small world, and the thrill of Space Mountain, I look down and Chloe is missing. So I just look to Amanda and say, that's okay, sweetie, we still have two. Said no parent ever, right? (laughs) Of course not. If I look down and Chloe is missing, I am going to leave the girls with Amanda and I'm gonna frantically search the park. I'm not gonna eat, I'm not gonna sleep, I won't even pee until Chloe is found. Why? Because the number we have when one is missing is irrelevant. I'll say it again, the number we have when one is missing is irrelevant. And what's true of us as parents is even more so true of God. We see this in scripture. God loves us. He loves us dearly, but our sin separates us from him. And he will stop at nothing until every lost one is found. There's a group of people who has a really hard time with this teaching. And it's not the sinners, it's not the lost, it's not the disconnected, it's the religious. The religious had a really hard time with this teaching. And in fact, we're gonna take a look at it together today. So if you got a Bible, could be hard copy, digital copy, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We've got some free Bibles in the back. You can also follow along in our app, you can take some notes there. At this point in Jesus' ministry, everything's in full swing. The healings, the teaching, all of it. And he was loving those who others wouldn't love. He spent his time, attention, energy with the marginalized, the outcast, the sick, the hurting. And the religious, they just weren't having it. Luke tells us in the beginning of chapter 15, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, just a little context for us. Sinners are those who've turned their back on God. Like they, they, they've gone their own way. They've done their own thing. Tax collectors, little different. They didn't just like turn their back on God. They actually took it to another level. They turned their back on their own people. You see back then, Rome inhabited Israel, and what they did is they employed Jews to tax their fellow Jews. But what these tax collectors would do is they would upcharge their own people to pad their own pockets. If the story of Robin Hood is stealing from the rich to bless the poor, the story of a tax collector is the rich stealing from the poor to be all the richer. You can see why the tax collectors would be considered scum of the earth. The Jews wouldn't want anything to do with them. So we got sinners, we got tax collectors, they're gathering around. And we've also got this other crowd there as well. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the religious leaders, the religious elites of the day. 
And now while they knew a lot about God, they failed to truly know God. They certainly weren't about what God was about. There's a theologian, J.I. Packer. He says this about knowing God. There is a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When you truly know God, you have energy to serve him, boldness to share him, and contentment in him. We're going to look at three parables that Jesus shared with this audience, this mixed audience of sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and teachers of the law. And we're going to look at these because we're going to see what God is about, what his heart breaks for. Because we want to know God and we want to be about what God is about. Jesus shared the first two parables as follows. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, goes home, and then he calls together, uh, calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Second parable, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in the first parable, we've got a shepherd. The shepherd loses one sheep and he just leaves the 99 to go find that lost sheep. Second parable, we've got a woman who has 10 coins. She loses a coin, so she frantically searches her house until she finds it. In both parables, there is great rejoicing when that lost one is found. The, the point of these parables is that the one that's missing matters as much as the ones that are found. The one that's missing matters as much as the ones that are found. Now, this is good news for us because what this means is when we are lost, God wants to seek out us. He wants to find us. He wants us to be reunited because God loves everyone and he wants a relationship with every one. So when one is lost, he, he sent his son, Jesus, to seek and to save them. Jesus said it this way in Luke 19.10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was on a search and rescue mission. That's what his life was all about. Jesus was the good shepherd who left the 99 to go find that one. He's like the woman who frantically searches and then finds it and rejoices. And that's what happens in, in both of these accounts is when the lost one is found, heaven parties. Why? Well, the lost sheep, the lost coin, they conclude with these parables, these, they conclude with this rejoicing because as Jesus says at the end of the second parable, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven parties when just one person repents, when they, when they no longer go their own way, when they turn, they receive Jesus' forgiveness and they decide to follow him. Heaven 
parties because the lost one is found. If you know Jesus, heaven partied for you when Jesus sought and saved you. How cool is that? That's the story of the gospel. But you know what, what baffles me and saddens God? Soon after the confetti and streamers are all like cleaned up, what happens is when, when we, we come to Jesus, we forget what it's like to not know him, to be far from God. At least that was my story. As a, as a teenager, I came to Christ in a, in a real personal way. And at that time, I started to read my Bible a whole lot. I just wanted to know God more. I wanted to know him, know him, know him. So I was reading my Bible a lot. And then I spent a lot of time with my friends from church because I liked them and they liked me and they valued what I valued and they believed what I believed. So as, I'd get as, as much time as I could get with them, like I was there. If we were serving at the soup kitchen on Friday night, I was there. If it meant serving on Sundays, doing slides, I was there. I just wanted to be with them. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things. They're, reading your Bible, it's a great thing. Time in community with other believers, great thing. But what happened is that as I was investing all this time in these Christian things, I started to spend less and less time with my non-Christian friends. In the time I did have with them, whether it was around the lunch table at school or on the bus to a tennis match, I became more reserved, more kind of timid, and I just kind of, you know, hung in the shadows, didn't really want to ruffle feathers. I knew that they didn't believe what I believed, they didn't value what I valued. So I just kind of played it safe. And what I've observed is that my story, unfortunately, is not an anomaly. Because as a pastor, what I've seen is when someone comes to Jesus, they discover life with him and it's so good. And they, they experience his community and the love and the encouragement and the prayer and the support. And the tendency is to slowly distance oneself from their old sphere of influence, their old circle of friends. And the problem with this is when we create distance between us and them, it feels like that. It feels like us and them. And the, the greater the distance, the more likely it is that we judge them. And they feel it. And they, they feel judged by, by us. They feel judged by God's people. And as a result, well, they don't really want anything to do with God because they don't feel loved by his people. If we don't pause periodically and just take a, an honest self-assessment about how we're living our life and who we're interacting with and what that looks like, we could actually become more and more like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who have their lives all cleaned up, looks nice and pretty on the outside, but we actually are living a life that is rather far from God. But we're not going to be those kinds of people because we get to hear from his word today. So let's do this. Let's read the third parable. Okay, it's a bit of a longer one. And I want to read it in its entirety, and then I'll kind of break it down for us. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You, you, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Mark Twain says this is the best story ever told. Best story ever told. There are three characters. We have the father who represents God the father, and we have two sons, a younger son and an older son, who represent us as people. Now, to understand the meaning and the significance of this story, this parable, we need to understand some things culturally. So back then, when a father would die, he would leave his inheritance, which would be split up amongst his sons. That's what would happen when he died. Now, the younger son here goes to his dad and essentially, considering that context, he essentially says, Dad, I'm really not that interested in you, but I want your stuff. Could, I wish you were dead so I could just have your stuff. Now, none of us are going to say that to our parent, probably not going to say it to God, and yet many of us have actually approached God with this kind of life under God mindset where we just want God's blessings and we don't really want a relationship with him. When we pray, our prayers sound more like a wish list to Santa Claus than they do a conversation with someone that we love. See, we can be like the younger son. Yet, as we heard in the story, the father says, all right, whatever, here, here's your inheritance, gives it to him early. The son takes it and he goes off and he squanders it on wild living, whatever that meant. Older, older son 
assumed it was prostitutes. Doesn't really matter. He squandered it, took the inheritance, took the blessings, and whew, there it went. And we've kind of been there too, haven't we? Whatever blessings God's given us, or we've taken something and maybe used it and exploited it. Maybe it was uh, a money or someone else's money and we used it to buy something we don't need or, or can't afford. So we found ourselves in a ton of debt. Could it could be taking sex, which God had created for a context between a man and a woman in marriage. And, and we took that and we watched it online or maybe it was sleeping around. I don't know what it was. I don't know how you sinned, but I can tell you one thing. We've all sinned. We've all been there. We've all turned our back on God. We've all gone our own way. And God will let us. He'll let us just go if that's what he wants, if that's what we want. If it's just, all right, go. Now, the son eventually comes to his senses. He's feeding pigs at the time, which, another contextual thing for Jesus' Jewish audience, like, that would have been appalling. The thought that this guy was feeding pigs, absolutely shocking. Be like someone selling their body for the pleasure of others, for us, okay? Just like, I can't even fathom. And yet, that's where the son found himself. Rock bottom, rock, rock bottom. Some of us know that feeling. Well, at his rock bottom, he's like, it can't get any worse. My father's servants, they at least have food to eat. Maybe if I return, I can just be a servant. So he heads back to his father. And on his way, before he could knock on the front door, his father had ran to him, embraced him, and had a servant come and bring the robe and the ring and the sandals. You see, he wasn't a servant. This guy was his son, and he wanted him to know it. He wanted him to feel it. The father loved him. Even though he let him go, he was thrilled to have him back. Now, when the older son, who was dutifully working for his father, his whole life, when his, this older son heard the party that's now taking place, he calls a servant and he's like, what's going on? He's like, well, your brother came home and your dad killed the fattened calf to celebrate. The older brother wanted nothing to do with it. He's ticked. He's been laboring day in and day out. And waiting for the inheritance one day. But here the, his brother comes home and gets to not only just squander the inheritance, he's now getting a party thrown for him. Older brother can't wrap his mind around it. And, you know, we approach God because the father comes out and he talks to the older brother and, and we kind of will do the same. We will actually approach God similar to this older brother had with his father. We'll kind of take the more traditional route to the blessing. We'll do the good thing. We figure if I do something good, like God will bless me. I'll go to church so my life goes better. I'll give so that I receive more. We kind of do this as well at times. And the interesting thing is, you know, if you look in your Bible, it probably is called the parable of the lost son. It's really the parable of the lost sons, plural. All the father wanted all along was a relationship with his sons. Older son, youngest, younger son, didn't matter. He just wanted a relationship with them. All the sons wanted was the father's stuff. 
One asked for it immediately. One was going to play the traditional you know, path to get there. Both just wanted this stuff. They didn't want anything to do with their father. How sad is that? And when Jesus shared this story, his audience, it, I mean, it struck a chord. Like they, they, they saw themselves in the story. Sinners, tax collectors, they saw themselves relating with the younger brother. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, they saw themselves in the story too, like that older brother. They're, they're cut to the heart. Who do you relate with? Is it the younger brother? Is it the older brother? For many of us in the room, it's probably actually the older brother. So what would it look like for us to pursue a relationship with God, not simply his blessings? Because here's the truth. God the Father wants a relationship with you. He sent Jesus to make that possible. He loves you unconditionally. And when you repent of your sin, when you, when you, when you turn and you receive Jesus' forgiveness, and you follow him, you get life with God. Starts now, continues forever. And when that lost one comes home, those of us who are part of the family of God, we should party. We should party with heaven because the lost one is found. And when we gather like this as a church or when we do something out in the community or whatever, whenever we're together, as a church, we should be a front porch for prodigals where God can meet them with open arms. He's not, he's not standing there like this. He has open arms and he is running, looking for the lost one to come home, to welcome them, to love them, to shower them, to have them be part of the family. And we should, we should celebrate. Let's not be like that older brother who's outside, ticked off because, well, there it's going, happening again. Another sinner who just ruined their life, but now they, they're home and everyone else is happy. But I've been doing the church thing for so long and yet no one's thrown me a party. Let's not be like that. But more than, more than passively observing, what we actually need to do is actively pursue. Because we are now invited to carry on Jesus' mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. It was a search and rescue mission. And before returning to his father, what Jesus did is he looked at his followers right in front of him. He said, look, as the father has sent me, I'm sending you. Like, go run the race. I'm passing the baton to you. The church is God's plan A to reach a lost and disconnected world. Jesus' vision for his church wasn't ever that, that missions would be a department or a program of the church. Mission is the purpose of the church. We are God's search and rescue team. So we should live like it. And if we don't seek out that one who's far from God, who's going to? Who's going to love your neighbor? Who's going to love your family member, your brother, your coworker? Who's going to love them if we don't? God's love is active. So we must love actively. What that means is it means we got to stop waiting for someone else to do what God positioned us to do. We've got to love the one far from God because God is for every 
one. For the one who's lost, for the one who's disconnected, for the one who, who has run away, who's ruined the li- their life. Maybe at the Father's expense. We've got to be about that person. This is what we're called to as followers of Jesus, and it's what we're going to be unashamedly about as a church. God loves everyone. He wants a relationship with everyone. So, because of that, seeing that truth in Scripture, being convicted by the the first parable, leaving the 99 to find the one, Amanda and I moved across the country to be a part of what God's doing here. We were part of an amazing church in Maine. Life was good. And yet we felt like God was calling us to go seek the one who is far from him. There are those in, there are people like that in Maine. There are also people like that here. For some reason, he called us here and we're thrilled. We're thrilled that we get to do ministry here. And that's what we're going to be about. We're going to stop at nothing to love the one who's far from God. We're going we're to seek them out. And when they come home, we're going to party. We're going to celebrate. So we're going to love the one far from God because God is for everyone. And here's what that practically looks like as we close. All right, it's going to start with praying for one. We've got to pray for one. Because at the end of the day, we can't save people. Like, no matter how hard you or I try, we can't save people. That's God's business. But we can pray for people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. And I cannot think of a more loving thing to do. Like, if we truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that those who experience life with him get life with God, both now and forever, if we truly believe that, then the most unloving thing would be to not tell people about that. Now we can't save, but we can pray. So we're gonna pray that that they will come to know him, that people, the people in our life who don't right now know him will know him. Our uh, our kids team, most Sundays, they they do an exercise with all of the kids and uh, it's called Pray For One, where they'll go around the room, the kids get to share prayer requests, and then what they do is they just like identify somebody who doesn't know Jesus, that they would like to know Jesus. So Maggie did this a month or two ago, and she wrote down all these names with who they're praying for. The good news is a lot of our kids are praying for one another, so that's great. Uh, But what's cool is some of our kids are starting to get it. Cade is praying for his neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, and others are as well. And I think that we should learn from our kids I think we should pray for someone in our life who doesn't know Jesus, but we would love to see come to know Jesus. We call it pray for one here at Connect. And you see it on the back of the Connect card. It says pray for one on the bottom. It says, I'm praying for blank to follow Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I actually want you right now, just like the kids did in the middle of their deal, I want you to pull out a Connect card. You can get them in the bucket on your row. Came in the welcome handout. You can grab it right now. We're gonna do this together. And we're going to write who we want to know Jesus, okay? If you don't know Jesus, write your own name, okay? I don't even have to write anything on the front, okay? That's not as important. You can write your own name or you can write your neighbor's name or something like grab a pen, grab a a connect card, and let's write it together. I'm going to write one too, okay? We're going to use this here in a moment, but for now, we're just going to write it on the connect card. My, my pray for one's name is Chuck. Don't yell it out, but what's yours? 
You see, we're people who pray first. And the best thing we could do for someone who doesn't know Jesus is pray that they do, that they would come to know him. And then as we're praying, we're also going to seek the one who's lost. We're going to seek him out. The shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. The woman frantically searches her house until the lost coin is found. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. God's love is active. And as his people, we must love actively. This is why recently, last couple months, I started playing pickleball, okay? I'm a tennis player. I thought pickleball was for people much older than me. Let's just put it that way, okay? I thought the sound of that ball hitting the paddle just sounded lame, okay? Still think it sounds lame. But I, uh, for a while, I've been going to the gym a little over a year, and I actually was like, you know, I'm having a hard time meeting people, apparently, working out with earbuds in, not a great way to meet people. So when they put in some pickleball courts, I said, you know what? I played ping pong, I played tennis, I'll give it a shot. It actually is pretty fun. But what's so cool, and the reason I'm actually playing pickleball now, and I, it's hard to even say that, like admit it, but I am. The reason I am is because I wanna, I wanna meet those who are far from God. When I go to work, I work with people who know Jesus. I love that, but like they know Jesus already. My, my family, we talk about Jesus all the time. Not so much at my gym. So I'm going to there and I'm, I'm trying to meet people. Okay, I, I worked out at this gym for over a year. In the first two times I played pickleball, I definitely met more people than in the whole year prior. It was incredible. And since then, I have been able to have some casual conversations, meaningful conversations, even some spiritual conversations with these people. It's been incredible. Somehow, they found out early on that I'm a pastor. So now people are introducing themselves to me and saying, telling me that I'm a pastor. And I'm like, how did you find that out? Most of the time that ends conversations, for some reason, by God's grace, it's starting them. To me, what that says is God is at work at my gym and he wants to do something at my gym and he's positioned me to maybe be a part of that. Our staff is taking this seriously. Allie has started to work out at Orange Theory Fitness to meet people. Alex likes to work from coffee shops and start conversations. He invited a friend he met at a coffee shop right here at Monk and Mongoose who joined us on Christmas Eve. Hannah subs for ballet classes right here in this room because she wants to meet people in Moon Tree. That's how she's doing it. What, what are you interested in? What do you like doing? Where do you frequent? And what would it look like to live on mission there? Because maybe, just maybe, God is working and he wants you to be a part of it. So we're going to seek the one who's lost. And the third thing is we're going to celebrate the one who's found. When one who is disconnected connects with Jesus, we should be louder than Broncos fans when the Broncos score a touchdown. Because this is what winning looks like. The, the disconnected getting connected. The lost being found. Our goal as a church is not to have our own building one day. It's not a bigger budget. Our goal isn't even to be a big church. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things. They're just not the goal. The goal is one more person who right now is disconnected, connecting in a growing relationship with God, because that's where life is found. So we will stop at nothing until everyone that's in front of us, everyone who's lost, everyone who's disconnected, 
gets an opportunity to connect with Jesus in his church and his purpose for them. Now, to this end, what this means this year, what this means going forward is it means we've got to love the one far from God. We've got to love him because God is for everyone, every single one. And the way we can be about this is praying for one, seeking the one who's lost, celebrating the one who's found. Because when we do, God is glorified, heaven parties, and we will too. Let me pray for us. Lord, we ask that we would be able to party with you as people who right now don't know you would come to know you. Maybe here in this room, could be in a living room, could be at a coffee shop, could be in so many different places. You're not restricted to a space. You can move through your people wherever and whenever you want. And we ask that you would open, your eye, open our eyes to where you're at work so that we can join you in that. It overflow your love from us. You are love and would, would you just overflow that from us, especially to those who right now are far from you. Would they feel your love, not our judgment? And when they do, would they be compelled to follow you, Jesus? Thank you for the life that you offer. Thank you for the mission you invite us to be a part of. We pray this in your name.